Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Come on, it's a beautiful weekend, isn't it? Come on, you can be better than that. Good morning, Christ Community Church. All right, much better. All right, so here's the deal. Um, we are wrapping up our series on the book of Galatians today, and then, then next week we will transition into the book of Daniel and uh, hit some of the highlights there over four weeks. Uh, but just so we can kind of reorient ourselves and know where uh, we're going, understand what's going on here, okay? Uh, Galatians is kind of a strange letter for Paul because usually when Paul writes a church a letter, He's like, you know, ah, oh, bless you, praise you, thank you, all, all that kind of stuff. Typically, that's the way he is. With Galatians, he just goes gangster. He just goes off on them. He is not happy with them at all. And, and he tells them, he said, right off the bat, he says, why are you doing this? You've abandoned the gospel. And he says, not that there is another gospel. You've created some other gospel. You've bought into this other gospel, and it's not from God. And, and, and Paul is really, really harsh here. And, and when we look at the text here in a minute, you're going to kind of think that Paul's being hypocritical uh, because he's going to tell the Galatians to be kind. And then you're looking at Paul and Paul's going, okay, you've got this group that's come in after me. And, and Paul started these churches. It's a collection of churches in the area called Galatia. And so he started these churches he has preached to them. He has taught them. He's appointed elders there to take care of them and continue to teach and preach. And then he goes away to go start new churches somewhere else. And then he hears, well, Paul, here's the deal. After you left, some other folks came in, and they said, uh, Paul was wrong. And, and, and here's the deal. Paul said that you just come to faith in Jesus Christ no matter who you are. And, but the truth is... You have to become Jewish before you can become a Christian. And so what they meant by that was, one, you have to obey the Levitical law, which means, you know, you have to eat certain things. You can't eat other certain things, like you can't have bacon. Thank God that's overruled. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. They said you can't do that. And, and, and he says, and also, your men have to be circumcised because all Jewish males have to be circumcised. Now, I understand that many of you have taken your kids or whatever to be circumcised after they were born, and today, not really a big deal. When I took my son to be circumcised many, many years ago, took him in there, they told me to put sugar water on my finger, he, he sucked the sugar water off my finger, zip, 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 doctor goes, we're done, I'm like, that's it? It was like, boom, done, he was circumcised. Okay, but understand, this is the first century Roman Empire. They don't know about germs. There's no such thing as anything being clean. And they did not have scalpels. They used rusty knives. Every guy just went, oh. Right? And so, you know, and they're saying, but you have to do this. And Paul gets so angry at that. That in Galatians 5, he actually goes so far as saying, oh, they're so, they're so eager to cut. He says, tell them to cut themselves. And he says, and then just tell them to keep cutting. You get what picture what he's trying to say? 
And you say, man, Paul, dag on. And now we're going to see here in a minute, Paul goes, but be kind to each other. And you're like, Paul, dude, you just told a bunch of people to castrate themselves, and now you're saying be kind and be filled with the Spirit. What's the deal? Okay, here's the deal. There is a huge difference between anyone today, anyone other than Jesus Christ, and Paul. And, and here's the reason why. Paul was an apostle. Now, that's a fancy Greek word that just mean, usually just means this, a sent one. So like, you know, if I send my wife over to our neighbor's house and say, hey, you know, can we borrow your lawnmower? Um, and, and she's speaking for me. In one sense, she's an apostle. She's a sent one. But in the New Testament, it takes on a whole different meaning. Apostle means Jesus Christ himself selected you to be not only his servant, but also his teacher, church planter, trainer of people, and that when they sat down and put pen to paper, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you so that the words you write are not your words, they're mine. So when Paul speaks to the Galatians, Corinthians, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Rome, whoever, Paul was not saying, this is what Paul says. He's saying, this is what Jesus Christ, your Savior and the Lord of the universe says. Now, this is how it all went down. Jesus went around, he selected 12 disciples. He literally came up and said, follow me. And he trained them, and he sent them out. All but one, Judas Iscariot, who killed himself. And then, to replace Judas Iscariot, on the road to Damascus, here is Paul. Now, Paul, at this time, a little background. From what we know about Paul's background, he was a rich kid. He's a rich Jewish kid. He's from this city called Tarsus, which was a wealthy city. He's a Roman citizen. Jews who were Roman citizens meant somewhere in their past, they had somebody with lots of money who bought their Roman citizenship. And so Paul would have gone to Tarsus, which was considered one of the finest colleges in the Roman Empire. It's like sending a kid off to Princeton today. So Paul goes, and he's educated at Tarsus. Then his family sends him off to basically go to seminary in Israel and study under the great rabbis there. And he, he, he is just rising in the ranks. Paul is becoming somebody really well-respected in Jerusalem. He's the kind of guy that one of these days, he's going to be high up in the Jewish hierarchy. And so when this new sect called Christians break out, the Jewish leaders go, we can't put up with this. They're teaching this person that we crucified, rose again, is the Messiah, and they're, not us, they are claiming to be God's spokespeople. Paul, you go take a band of guys, really rough guys, and go put an end to this. And so Paul is going to drag Christians out of churches, put them in jail, or kill them, and he's riding to do that, and all of a sudden, Jesus Christ pops up, the risen Christ pops up and says, Paul, one, stop it. Two, you're mine. 
You are going to go preach my gospel. You are going to go plant churches all across the Roman Empire. Paul, you're mine. And when you speak, you speak for me. This is why in Galatians 1, Paul goes, oh, you're listening to apostles? Were they selected by the risen Christ? I don't speak for men. I speak for Jesus. So when you're reading through Paul's letters, you go, I don't like that. Paul's like, tough toenails. It's not coming from me. It's coming from Jesus. Take it up with him. So there is the difference. An apostle, we don't have apostles anymore. We don't have that. So I can't do that. Look, I, when I decided to go and go to seminary, you know, I, I believe God wanted me to go to seminary and be a minister. But when I made that decision, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, did not show up in my bedroom and go, Matthew, you shall be my spokesperson. It didn't happen. Right? And, and I'm glad because he tells Paul, you know, he's telling Paul this stuff like Paul's going, hey, uh, you know, Jesus, my job in planting churches and teaching your people would be a lot easier if you could help me out because I got this bad eye disease. I've got something going on with my eyes. Could you help me out here? And Jesus goes, no. No, I'm not going to do that. And so I, I'm glad Jesus didn't show up and, 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 and tell you because here's what would have happened. In, in Portsmouth, Ohio in 1998 which is when I decided to go to seminary, if Jesus showed up and goes, Matthew, here's what the deal. You're going to go to West Texas. You're going to get your seminary degree. You're going to go to upstate New York. You're going to earn a law degree. You're going to practice law. And you're going to preach the gospel. I'd be like, yeah, all right, Lord, yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. In Portsmouth. I'd have been like Jonah, right? running as far away as I could. God bless you, but this is not where I pictured myself at 26 ending up, but God's like, yeah, that's where you're ending up. And, and so, but that didn't happen with me. So, you know, when I practice law, here's what I learned, especially if you're in a federal court. If you're in a federal court, you know, the big deal is you have two kinds of authority. If you're trying to convince a judge to go one way or the other, you have two different kinds of authority you present to the judge. The first authority is precedent. All right, so if you're standing for a federal judge and you want him to rule in your favor and you can find a case from a higher court, like a court of appeals or hopefully from the Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court says, if you're faced with this issue, here's the law. And so if I go before a federal judge and go, judge, here's the law, the Supreme Court has ruled, that judge has absolutely no authority to do anything but follow the Supreme Court. And that's like Paul. When Paul speaks for Jesus, or Peter speaks for Jesus, or John speaks for Jesus, or whoever, there is no arguing. That's final authority. Done deal. Over with. You can't argue with the creator, the sustainer, and the Lord of the universe. You're going to lose that argument. Now, the second kind of authority is called persuasive authority. Persuasive authority is not where the judge has to rule in your favor. You just hope he rules in your favor. 
And the way that works is you find like an article written by a professor at Harvard or Yale or something like that, or you find a ruling in another court that's not necessarily above the court you're in, but it, it's, it makes sense. And so you say, well, you know, I'm in a, let's say I'm in a federal court in Cincinnati, and I've got this uh, opinion from a judge in Florida, and I'm like, well, Your Honor, you know, Justice such and such, Judge such and such said this in Florida, and I think you should rule the same way. And so he'll consider that, and he may rule in my favor, he may not, but he'll consider it as persuasive authority. Today in the church, we have persuasive authority. And so what happens is when I get up here or dad gets up here, what we do is we study the scripture, and then what we try to do is get up here and preach and teach what we believe the scripture teaches. And maybe we convince you, maybe we don't. That's up to you. You have to work that out yourself. And so there's a difference between now and then. Paul was an apostle. He had authority to say, this is the way it is. I stand up here and say, this is how I believe it is. Are you with me? And you say, yay or nay. Difference. Big difference. This is one of the reasons I don't believe in what's called church discipline. Today, you have a lot of churches out there where if you mess up, and we'll talk more about this in a second because Paul has some things to say about this. If you mess up, let's say that you, know, you get caught red-handed doing something that you shouldn't be doing. You know, and, and dad says to you, or I say to you, you can't come back here anymore. You are shunned. We are exercising church discipline. You can't come back to Christ Community Church anymore. They go, okay, fine. I'm going to the church down the street. And you go, and nobody can stop you. In Paul's day, if you were in one of these churches in Galatia, and Paul goes, you can't listen to those people anymore. Don't do that. And they said, Paul, I don't like that. I'm going to the church in Corinth. Paul goes, I'm over that church too. Well, I'll go to church in Rome. Over that church too. I'll go to Ephesus. Over that church too. How long you want to play this game? Paul was over all the churches as an apostle. Him, Peter, the rest of them, they were over the churches. They could kick you out of the church, and you couldn't find another church. If they kicked you out of the church, you were out. That's the difference between an apostle then and a preacher or a church leader today. Big difference. Big difference. So that's why Paul can say... Those people, they're so fond of cutting, tell them to keep cutting and then say to the church, but be kind. Because he's not technically saying that. It's coming from Jesus Christ himself. See the difference? And Jesus is not under the same set of circumstances we are. He's God. Does that make sense? We tracking? All right. With all that being said, let's jump into Galatians. Galatians 5. 6 through 20. This is how Paul wraps up the letter. Let's roll. Anytime. We got a problem? I can read it out here. There we go. I was going to say, that's why I bring my Bible. Technical difficulties. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Hold there. Hold there for a second. Okay. 
Now, first of all, he's saying, walk by the Spirit. If you don't know what that means, go and watch. Go to YouTube and go watch. If you don't know what YouTube is, ask your grandkids. Go to YouTube and, and, and watch Dad's sermon from last week where he explains the difference between being under the law and, and being guided by the Spirit, okay? So, but then he goes on and says, do not, desire the grat- do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, now, when Paul uses the word flesh, what we translate as flesh, he does not mean this. That's not what he means. Okay? When Paul means body, he uses the Greek word soma. So when he says flesh, the Greek word is sarx. That's a different Greek word. All right, it should be translated not flesh, but sinful desire or sinful nature. Do not gratify your sinful nature or sinful desires. Okay, there's nothing wrong. If your belly starts grumbling because you're hungry and you eat, there's nothing sinful about that. You're not feeding the flesh, you're feeding the body. Okay? If you're married and you and your wife or you and your husband decide to put on a little Barry White and some candles you know, and and do your thing, Paul says, nothing wrong with that. That's not feeding the desires of the flesh. That are the desires of the body. Within marriage, knock yourselves out. Not literally. Because if the kids found you, that would be traumatic. But that, that, so there's a difference here. Understand that. Okay, whenever you see flesh, and like the NIV, he means sinful nature. Let's keep going. For the flesh, or the sinful nature, desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. He's talking about Leviticus there. You are not under that law. So that means We don't have a Sabbath that we have to enforce. That means we don't have a strict percent of tithe that you have to give. That means that we don't have certain foods that we cannot eat. You can eat all the pork you want to eat. Praise Jesus Christ. The acts of the flesh or the sinful nature are obvious, and he rolls them out here. Sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage of any kind, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, that's the worshiping of other gods, witchcraft, hatred, discord. Now, notice this, because he kind of repeats himself here, and there's a reason. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, I wrestle with that one in New Boston every morning, selfish ambition dissension, factions. Now, hold on, I want to say there a second. This is important. The Apostle Paul, when he writes, only lists a couple of sins that where he's like, really gets worked up. One is if you're trying to teach another gospel, as we've seen in Galatians. The other one is this, if you're dividing the body of Christ... 
And he says this in Titus, you can go look it up. In Titus 3, he's very clear about this, and he's repeating it several times here in, uh, in Galatians. Division, fraction, so forth, he's repeating himself. He's saying if you divide the body of Christ, either you're a troublemaker, if you like to argue all the time, you're one of those kind of people, you split a church, you decide to you get mad, you do all that kind of stuff, you, you get mad at the elders because they're not doing what you want or whatever, you do any of that stuff, Paul says actually have nothing to do with that person. Nothing. It's very strong language. And so, yeah, he says, envy is from the devil, witchcraft, idolatry, all kind of stuff. But he repeats himself several times. But if you're divisive in any way, he's really got harsh words for you. Because he wants the body to be one. To be one. He's going to have more to say on that here in a second. Envy. Drunkenness. Now, this is, this is a big one. Now, okay. The Bible does not teach that drinking is a sin. So if you have a little shot or so, of something every once in a while, okay, that, that's, that's one thing. But it does say that drunkenness is a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. Getting addicted to alcohol is a sin. And so you need to keep that in mind. And, and I used to, because I used to have to preach, when, you know, I started a ministry back in 2008 that focused on 16 to 25-year-olds. I would go to heaven for that, if nothing else. And I, I did that and, and with revolution. And I, when I would have to preach on, on, on passages like this, I would really have to spend a lot of time on this. I would have to explain this to, to people. That, you know, look, drunkenness is a sin. And I'd have to tell them, maybe I'll tell you, buzzed counts. All right, if you have a drink, fine. But if you have too much to drink, Paul's going to say, stop it. Knock that off. So keep going. Next verse. Actually, the verse after that, I believe. Keep going, keep going, keep going. We're rolling. Technical difficulties again. It happens. Don't worry. I was, I was short last night, so we'll be fine. Um, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying that if you've done that in the past, there's no mercy or forgiveness. He's not saying if you're doing it now and you repent, turn from it, there's not mercy and forgiveness. He's talking about being unrepentant and you keep doing it to the day you die. He says, now we got a problem. Now we got a problem. But the fruit of the Spirit, now notice it's not fruits of of the Spirit. It is fruit singular. He says, in other words, if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, if you've truly come to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And here is what it should produce over time as you grow in Christ. Love, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the sinful desires, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, 
Now, I know that's weird to some of you just kind of Christ that he calls each other brothers, he calls Christians brothers and sisters. That's because, spoiler alert, we'll get there, the Apostle Paul says if you've come to Christ and the people you're worshiping with and even the people who call themselves Christians all around the world are your family. They are your family now and forever. Now, notice this. This is important, too, because too many churches go nuclear on people. Too many Christians become judgmental, and they end up doing this. Notice what Paul says here. Again, he is speaking for Jesus Christ. If someone is caught in sin, not rumored to be sinning, not I suspect they're sinning, not I've heard gossip about, have you heard about such and such, not any of that. He says if they are caught red-handed in sin, you who live by the Spirit, mature Christians, should restore that person gently. Gently. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying, Paul is saying, I speak for Christ, so I can do this. You can't. You don't do this. You do this. If you catch someone, if you hear rumor that somebody's sinning, if people are gossiping about people sinning or doing this or that, the Bible's very clear. One, you don't repeat it. Two, you don't pay it any attention or mind. You dismiss it. It's foolish talk, according to the Bible. He's saying if someone is literally caught red-handed in sin, then you go to them and do what you can in a loving way to help them get back to Jesus Christ. That's what you do. But watch yourselves or else you may be tempted. Okay, now what's he talking about here? Here's what he's talking about. Now in his day and age, people would run off to these pagan temples and they'd party. They'd have wine, they'd have prostitutes, all that kind of stuff. And what Paul is saying is, and I had to deal with this again going back to when I was preaching at Revolution with 18 to 25-year-olds. You know, I'd had a lot of people in my, in, that I was preaching to that were recovering addicts. And so they're recovering addicts, they come to Christ, and they're like, I've got to share the gospel with all my friends. And so what do they do? They go over to their friend's house, and their friend's house looks like a liquor store. Or they go to the bar to go sit down with their friends, and guess what? They end up drunk, and they relapse. And I tell them, say, hey, look, guys, I'm glad you want to share the gospel with your friends. Call them. Text them. Facebook them. It's about time Facebook was used for something productive. Facebook them. Don't go to where they're using their drinking or whatever. Otherwise, you're going to fall into that. So, yes, you go and help people get out of sin and to Christ, but you do it gently and make sure you're not tempted yourself. Let's roll on. This is a big one for Paul. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I put this in your bulletin so you remember it. When Paul says carry each other's burdens, the Greek words he used does not mean pray for somebody, visit somebody. It literally means here's their burden, you pick it up and you carry it for them. You pick up their burden and you carry it for them. 
That is what he's saying. Okay. Now, that's not easy to do. It's not fun to do, especially at first. Because here in my experience, with you know, 20 years now in ministry, here's what happens. When you sit down with someone and they have a burden, the first thing they want to do is blame everybody else. That's one. Two, they tend to lapse into selfishness and talk about themselves a lot. And it can be tedious, and it can really take a lot of time, and all that kind of stuff. It is not easy or fun to literally carry someone else's burden for them. To be there when they're crying, to be there in pain, to be there in the hospital, in hospice, and in the nursing home, and in their homes, and, and to be there as they walk out of the courtroom after a divorce, and all that kind of stuff. It, it's not easy, but we are commanded to do it. Now, this is where the gym rat in me comes out. Okay, here's what I've learned. Uh, I've been training this young man uh, for several months now. He wants to be a firefighter. Grandfather was a firefighter, his father's a firefighter. And so one of the exercises I have him do almost every single week is we have this thing at the gym I train at, and what you do is, is this big thing, it's got a pad on it, you put it back here across your back, and then I put weights on it. We started off with just 45 pounds, and then we got up to 100 pounds, and now we're up to 180 pounds, and so forth. And he, he puts this on his back, and all he does is this. He just walks around with his weight on his back. Okay, now, I will freely admit, it's boring. It is not fun. It is not the most fun exercise, and some of you are saying no exercise is fun, but that exercise is really, really boring. There's a reason why gym rats love to squat, and they love to deadlift, and all that other kind of stuff, because it's not boring. This is boring. But the simple fact is, if you're going to carry heavy stuff on your back, this is what you have to do. And here's what he's noticed. There's a reason why he went from 45 pounds to 100 pounds to 180 pounds. Because the more you carry stuff on your back, the stronger you get. The more burdens you carry for other people, the stronger you will get. The better you will become at doing this. Because at first, if you've never done this before, if you've never been there it, with a real crisis, a real burden, I'm not talking about fake burdens, and, and, and Paul here in a minute will talk about that. I'm not talking about, because look, I, you know, I, I did revolution until I was 40, and then I started looking for a way to transition out because 16 to 25-year-olds, I don't have to tell you who are parents, have a lot of drama. Everything is a crisis. Everything is a crisis. And it gets really tedious really quick. And you're, you're, you know, you're just like, oh, my girlfriend won't text me back. And I'm like, so? Enjoy a peace and quiet. Go watch a game. What's the problem? You know, it's that kind of thing that just drives you crazy. But, but, you know, I'm talking about real burdens. I'm talking about when the doctor walks in and says, you have cancer, 
and there's not much we can do. I'm talking about when your boss walks in and says, your position here is no longer available. I'm talking about when you get that call at 2 a.m., they say, this is the sheriff's department, we have your child here. I'm talking about that kind of burden. I'm not talking about drama kings and drama queens. I'm talking about real burdens. And we are called to do that. And it takes work because there are very few naturals at this. Ralph Clay is a natural at this. You know, you want, you want to follow Ralph Clay into a hospital room or a hospice room or a nursing home, he's just, boom, he's got it. He said, you know, it, he doesn't shake. He doesn't, it, it's just, he's got it. He knows how to do it. The rest of us probably just have to learn. But we need to learn in order to carry each other's burden. Let's keep going. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Paul will show you where he's going here in a second. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. He's unpacking that whole envy thing and, and drama king and drama queen thing. Paul gets it. They had that in the first century too. For each one should carry their own load. In other words, yes, there are burdens. Yes, your church family should help you with those burdens, but don't go out looking for them. And don't expect everyone to take care of everything for you, is what he's saying. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. <coughs> Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, their sinful desires, from those desires will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, now notice this, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In other words, Paul says, okay, yes, you're to love everybody and help everybody as you can, but you are especially to go out of your way to help the people you worship with. The people you go to church with, it's like this. All Christians are your family. The people you worship with, that's your immediate family. And you go out of your way to help them. They come first. Now, there's a reason for that. There are several reasons to that, and we'll get to that here in a second. But remember that. Remember that. Now, what Paul is really getting at here is this. At the center of the church are really two things. First of all, to worship the one true God and Him alone. That's one. Two, to understand that the people sitting around you are your family and should be your friends. You should treat everyone you worship with as friends, close friends, and care for them as friends. And you need to understand what I mean by friends. The word friend that we use is actually from an old English word that means to love. To love. That means giving, not just receiving. To love. See, the problem we have in our culture today is we don't do that. We don't want that. 
There was a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. He taught counseling there for many years. On the side, he counseled people on his own. He was a licensed professional counselor. And after doing this for decades, he said of our culture today, he said, do you want to know what the biggest problem is other than people not coming to faith in Jesus Christ? The biggest problem is people define love as being loved, not loving. We think that we are at the center of the universe and that everyone around us has to do what we want them to do or they're not really our friends. They have to pay attention to us. They have to love us. And if we don't love them, well, you know what? That's just the benefit of being around me. And the problem is everybody seems to think that. What happens in that kind of society when everybody thinks it's all about them it's just chaos, and there is no real friendship, and there is no real love. And we're, you know, I tell you the truth. I, um, part of the problem here is this. We have created a society in which we encourage each other to be alone. I mean, you think about it. We have Netflix, Amazon Prime, a thousand channels on cable, about three we watch. Uh, we, have hi, we have Wi-Fi, we have our iPhones, we have podcasts, we have blogs, we have all that kind of stuff, and we just kind of zone out and create our own little worlds. Now, the result of that is, and people saw this 20 years ago, a guy wrote a book 20 years ago called Bowling Alone in which he argued that 20 years ago we were the loneliest society in the history of mankind. It's gotten worse since then. We don't have neighbors anymore. We don't spend time with friends anymore. And as a result, it just feeds that, that whole thing that it's all about us, it's all about us, it's all about us. You can't carry someone else's burden if it's all about you. You can't love someone else if it's all about you. I'll be honest with you. When, when, when people come up to me and they say, if I'm going through something, whether it's a health problem or whether it's stress or whatever, and people come up to me, Christians, I'll pray for you. I'll be honest with you. I don't believe them. First of all, the Apostle Paul would say, that's not enough. That's the bare minimum. Two, I don't believe they'll actually do it. I had a guy that I worked with for eight years who was a former professional baseball player, and he taught me when we would go travel the country together uh, for ADF when I was working for them, he would say when we would sit down with somebody, uh, a donor or a pastor or an attorney or something like that, we would sit down with them and they'd say, well, we're going th I'm going through this, my family's going through this, and we'd say, we'll pray for you. As soon as we got in the car outside the restaurant, we'd pray for them right then and there because we knew if we didn't, we'd forget how many times have you said to somebody, I'll pray for you, and then you just forgot? It's not that you didn't mean to. You just forgot. And, and you know, I see this all the time. Even when, when I had a health crisis several years ago, back in 2012, I had a health crisis lasted for two years. And, and what happened then was some people, a few people would come over and visit me. I spent two years laying on my stomach, and, and a couple people would come see me, and they'd sit there, and they how you doing? How you doing? What can I do for you? And they're going like this, and they're looking at their phone. And I see this today, too. 
I go to the hospital, see somebody, whatever. I see somebody in the hospital, they're sitting there, they're looking at their Apple Watch, they're looking at their iPhone, they're looking around, they're looking at the TV, all this kind of stuff. Why, this person's in, in pain? I know what they're thinking. They're sitting there thinking, I'm here, I'm here for you, but I hope my, watch, my wife hasn't started the new season of Glow on Netflix yet. I didn't get home. Right? And that's where we're at. And the Apostle Paul says, if we're ever going to be a light to the world outside, especially a lonely, isolated world that has very few true friendships, we need to start being friends who take care of each other here. So that when we do that, the world sees this and they say, what have they got there? I need, I need, to, I need to check that out. It's part of our witness to the world that we take care of each other, that we bear each other's burdens. But that means that we have to take the lead and we have to get over stuff. Because the simple fact is today in our culture, we are obsessed, obsessed with three things. Three things. And I know this because it, it, all you have to do is watch movies, TV, or listen to music and you can pick this up, what's in our culture. Three things. Here they are. Number one is sex. Now, here's what happens. I, I'm guilty of this. When I go to the gym to work out, um, what I typically do is I put my earbuds in and I listen to an audiobook or a podcast. That's typically what I'm doing while I'm, while I'm working out. But the other day I was in my gym and the, the only downside to my gym is there are a lot of female trainers and they control the music that's played. And so I was sitting there, I wanted to listen to a podcast, but I was sitting there on my phone, it was saying, episode unavailable, episode unavailable. It's like an idiot, I just keep pressing it over and over again, like somehow magically it's just going to stop and fix itself. And I'm just like, come on, come on, episode unavailable, episode unavailable. And I finally just got frustrated and said, fine. And I took it off, and I put it in my bag, and I start working out again. And somebody, some female trainer had turned on some station filled with Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. I didn't want to curl barbells, I wanted to throw them. And, and, but I was listening to, I was trying to pick up on the lyrics, and they're all about sex, romance, as they define it, and romance typically defined as, if you pay attention to movies and music, romance is defined as what I want, what I define it as. And the other person just goes along. Right? I, I, so, my wife and I have this deal. Um, it was brokered by Satan. Where in, during, in October, she'll watch scary movies with me, but in December, I have to watch Christmas movies, predominantly Hallmark Christmas movies, with her. Yes. Again, I will go to heaven for that, if nothing else. Now, and, and I watch these, and it's always the same thing. First of all, they're ridiculous movies. I'm sorry, she's not in here, so I can say this. They're ridiculous. You can keep this between us, right? They're ridiculous movies. And they just are. It's like one of them she wanted to watch was How Sarah Got Her Wings. I said, the title tells you the ending. Why are we watching that? And so, but, you know, we watch these, and, 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 and all, it's all the same thing. You know, one of them gets in trouble. They find true love, and true love is basically one of them just does whatever the other wants to do. And they define it that way. And we're obsessed with sex. We want love the way we want it. We want sex the way we want it. Oh, and three, we want stuff. We want lots of stuff. We are obsessed with stuff, 
sex and romance, all the way we define it. And that's the culture we live in. Want proof? Here we go. How many of you ever heard of Romeo and Juliet? It's okay. They, they, they tell you to read it in school. I'm not, like, calling you out. It's all right. You've heard of Romeo and Juliet, right? And people see this as great romance. First of all, Shakespeare did not intend that to be romantic. He thought it was crazy. Spoiler alert, they commit suicide at the end. And Shakespeare thought that was stupid. And for some reason, we go, how romantic? It's not romantic when teenagers kill each other. That's dumb. All right? So, but we see that. Oh, it's so romantic. We, and we all know who Romeo and Juliet is. Now, here we go. How many of you know who, here we go, Jack and Rose are? So you're going, some of you actually got right up here and they're, oh, that's Titanic. I can't do that because I know where Matt's going with this. It's true. It's the worst movie ever made. It's a three-hour soap opera with good special effects. That's all it is. It's a terrible movie. It's almost as bad as Avatar, which are giant Smurfs fighting G.I. Joe to save Ferngully. That's all it is. They're terrible movies. Absolutely awful movies. But we all know what those are, but let me throw this at you. And this was actually a test C.S. Lewis used to do with his students. He'd say, how many of you know who Roland and Oliver is? Crickets. How many of you know who Amos and Amelia is? Crickets. You know who they are? Also from classic literature like Shakespeare, but they're examples of friendship, not romance or sex or stuff. Friendship. You, you, this is the thing. We are so starved for friendship. We are so isolated. We are so alone. What we need is friendship, and it's the one thing we don't have. And you can even pick this up on movies if you watch them. You know, if you look around at movies that just come out in the last couple years, Tag, Girls Trip, even you want to go back to the 80s, the greatest decade of all time, you go back to the 80s and what do you get? Lethal Weapon, what is that? It's a buddy movie. 48 Hours, buddy movie. It's about friendship. It's about friendship. We want and need friendship. We don't seek it out. We don't get it. Because we're so bent on being selfish and getting our own way, we can't have friends. You can't have a friend that you just use to get your way. The only way we can truly be friends is through the grace of Jesus Christ. We see that we are forgiven. We deserve nothing. And then in thanks and in worship to Jesus Christ, we bear each other's burdens. That's how that works. It's how it works. I know that's hard to hear. I know this isn't fun, but it's the way it is. You need to understand what Paul is saying in Galatians and what the Bible says again and again is that God has given us people to love and things to use, not vice versa. And that's how it is. And it's what our world needs. Friendship, if you read through the Bible, friendship is actually valued above almost anything else. So I'm wrapping up. What does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, now I call you friends. Friendship is absolutely central to our lives and as our witness as Christians. It is a core part of the church. And to be a friend means this, that when your friend experiences a hard time, when they have a burden, you step into their place and you let some of their suffering fall onto you. And if you think that's too much to ask, remember that if you're a Christian, that's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. 
He stepped and took the punishment we deserve on the cross for us. And a servant is not above his master. I'll quit this way. A reporter many, many decades ago went to China, back before China's economy exploded. And she, he found a woman who had a son, and at two or three, the son had an accident and did not have access to good medical care. And because of the accident, he was lame in his legs. He could not walk. And this lady, this mother, began to carry her son everywhere, carry him to friends' houses, carry him to wherever he needed to go, carry him around the house, all the time carry him. The reporter goes back like 20 years later, goes back to that same village, and here is this 120-pound woman now carrying a fully grown 160-pound man around on her back. And the reporter walked up to her and said, my goodness, isn't he heavy? And she looked without a beat and she goes, no, he's not heavy. No, he's not heavy. He's my son. See, it's all a matter of perspective. Carrying someone else's burdens can wear you down and burn you out if they're just a person. But if they're a friend in Christ, if they're a brother and sister in Christ, if they're family, it's not a burden, no matter how heavy it is. It's just someone you love. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Paul's uh, letter. I pray that, I hope that Dad and I have preached it correctly. If there's anything we have preached incorrectly, may it fall on deaf ears. If there's anything we have preached correctly, may May it be taken in, and may we truly be friends with each other. May we continue to love each other. May the people here know that they do as much good for each other, sitting around eating donuts and drinking coffee and talking to each other as they do any time during the week. May we truly get to know each other and to love each other and to willingly carry each other's burdens out of thanks to you and the grace you have given us and just out of the love that the Spirit brings within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. God bless you. God goes with you. Save me a seat at the restaurants. See you next week. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.